Okay, am I on? Hey, I'm on. The rumor is true. It's, thank you. You knew the next line. It's me again. So, um, Dave's going to put up the first slide this morning and going to confuse you, so I want to clarify something real quick. Um, This morning, I want you to embrace the truth that God loves lead feet. Now, most of you are thinking that this is what I mean. I could tell when I told Roger what my sermon title was, that the first thing he thought of was this next picture. And uh, I've been in his Mustang, so I know what lead feet are like. So, um, but that's, that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Have you ever wished that you had someone who could tell you what God's will for you was? I had one of my mentors years ago when I was in junior high ministry who frequently told me what God's will was. It annoyed me. It irritated me. It ticked me off. And I totally ignored it. I don't know that you want one of us to tell you what God's will is. But this morning, I've come to tell you what God's will is for you. That's the whole point of what I want to share with you this morning. Lord, as we share these moments together... I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might hear your truth. Give us not only hearts, but feet to obey and to do, to be doers of the word and, and not hearers only. And so we commit our time to you, and again, in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the first chapter of the book of Colossians. <clears throat> Colossians, of course, is one of the Apostle Paul's uh, letters to the church at Colossae. Paul is writing from prison. So on a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to ask Paul, how you doing, Paul? He probably would say, fine. And I would ask Paul, so on a scale of 1 to 10, what's fine? Well, knowing the Apostle Paul, he'd probably say that was a 10. If I was in prison this morning, it would definitely not be a 10, right? So Paul's writing from prison, and he's never been to Colossae. He's writing to a group of Christ followers, a group of believers that he's never met, never seen face-to-face, never talked to. There's no telephones, there's no Facebook, there's no Instagram, there's no Internet. He's had The only thing he knows about this church is what Epaphras has told him. Epaphras is the one that God used to go to Colossae to share the gospel, to see people respond and disciple them in a church form. But the church of Colossae, not a whole lot different from us today, was a church plagued with fake news. The church at Colossae was in a culture surrounded by people who were talking about a secret knowledge. You needed to come to a point of discovering secret knowledge, secret wisdom. And you needed to pursue this and chase this. And Paul is writing to address this fake news with truth. And so he opens his letter to them this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Norwalk. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Well, yeah, could be for us here in Norwalk. To, To the saints. You're all saints this morning, right? You understand you don't have to do miracles and perform all kinds of wonderful things and have someone officially call you a saint. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are a saint. That's why in just a little less than a month, we're going to have a great celebration in Laverne for St. Roy's Day. (laughs) 
St. Roy's Day is the day before St. Patrick's Day. And he gets his day. I'm a saint. I get my day, right? You each get your day, too. We're all saints. And so he says, to the saints and brethren in Christ who are at Norwalk, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even, it has, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Dr. Kutanik and pastors Bowling and Air and... Who's that guy that's sick this morning? Cartagena. Um, you've heard truth. You've listened to truth. You've responded to truth. Our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he's also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And so Paul opens this letter, and he's, remember, he's never been there. He's never seen these people, never talked to them. But he has the report from Epaphras. And so he's responding to Epaphras' report, and he's saying to them, Wow, the gospel has accomplished some great stuff. It usually does, right? He talks about their faith, their hope, their love. Their faith is increasing. It's all good. And then he says this. For this reason, because of all this good stuff that the gospel has accomplished in you and in your midst and in your lives, also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. On ah, The knowledge of God's will. You know... We spend a lot of time in prayer about physical needs, health and healing and stuff like that. And that's all good and appropriate, right? No complaints. But it's interesting, if you read the prayers of Paul, what's he praying for? Knowledge, Knowledge, spiritual growth, maturity. And that's his whole focus in these three chapters in the letter to the Colossians, is their maturity, their stability in Christ. He says, I'm praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you ever pray for Pastor Rick, this would be a great prayer. If you ever pray for the elders in the church, this would be a great prayer. If you ever pray for me, this would be an awesome prayer. I need this stuff. And so, Paul is writing to these Colossians. And he says to them, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, the Scripture tells us a lot about God's will. God's will is not lost. God's will is not hidden. God's will is not secret. God tells us exactly what His will is. Sadly, most of us pursue wanting to find God's will while ignoring what we know to be God's will. 
So, for example, in Second uh, Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is God's will? For people to be saved. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says to the Thessalonians, um, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, for this is God's will for you. What is God's will? That we would live lives filled and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. He tells the Thessalonians in chapter 4, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You've heard Rick preaching on that theme. Sanctification, living lives that are holy, lives that are like God. And he goes on and says um, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is for us to live lives that are pure. So, God's will is not hidden, it's not secret. And if you're like me, and you grew up in the church since, you know, I always say I've been in the Grace Brethren Church since nine months before I was born. And if you've grown up in the church, if you're like me, you always heard, a, heard the message kind of about God's will. That it had to do with what vocation you chose, what person you married. And out there in the 7.2 billion people in the world, there's one person, and your job is to find her. And I would submit to you this morning that God's will and God's concern for you and me is neither vocational nor locational. His will for you and for me has everything to do with who we are, our character, the kind of people that we are. He's more concerned about who I am. Sorry, Andrea, it'll be 50 years in July. He's far more concerned about who I am than who I marry. She's laughing. Good. Okay, we're good. All right, so you see, she didn't know that was coming. So, in light of that, Paul defines God's will for you and me in this passage. He tells us exactly what his will is. Notice this. He says, We've not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will do what? Walk. Can you read those words? Walk. In a manner worthy. Walk. Where'd it go? I got to back up my eyes. I got new glasses on order. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Literally, you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So the way that I walk, the way that I live my life, can either please the Lord or displease the Lord. And isn't it interesting that Paul says not only to please the Lord, but there's a little three-letter word in front of it. What is it? All pleasing. Total pleasing. Complete pleasing. You know, it's one thing for me to please my wife. I've got to suck up a little bit here, so just kind of think there. You know, it's one thing for me to please my wife, but she'd probably rather have it be total, complete, full pleasing, right? And so Paul is saying to us, You need to have a worthy walk. Uh, This is a common theme for Paul. Um, He refers to two other passages about walking in a manner worthy. What does that mean? Well, it's a fascinating word. Because the word translated here, worthy, has a root idea of something that is heavy. Something that is weighty. And it has kind of the idea of something that balances the scales. It's a weight that balances the scales. And so, 
What is it that Paul says our walk is to be worthy of? What is it? The Lord. So what does that mean? That means in one side of the scale is Jesus. Everything he is, everything he's done for you and for me goes in one side of the scale. So if you think for a minute about who Jesus is and what he's done, does anything kind of leap to mind? Who is Jesus? He's the Savior. He's what? He's God's son. He is... I need, I'm getting old. I'm going to be 70, so help me out here. Come on. He's the creator of the universe. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal God-man. And what has He done for you and for me? Died on the cross, paid for sin, forgiveness, eternal life. We've been ransomed, redeemed. I mean, the list goes on and on. And all of that goes in this side of the scale. And Paul says, God's will for you and for me is that my life... would balance the scale, be worthy of who he is. Someone just said, is that hard to do? In our own strength, it's hard to do, right? It's hard to do. Bobby Richardson was the second baseman for the New York Yankees in the 50s and 60s. His career was about a 10 or 11 year career. 1955-ish to, or yeah, 55-ish to about 66 And he was quoted one time as saying something I find fascinating. He said, I believe that when you play for the Yankees, you play 20% better trying to live up to the uniform that you're wearing. Living up to the uniform that you're wearing. Now, that is wearing this morning a hat. He was in respect to the Lord. He took it off. Thank you. I appreciate that. He's got a hat that has a five-letter word on it, and that word is Jesus. And on the front of his T-shirt, above the word freak, is that same five-letter word, Jesus. Now, the challenge is, when you go out into public, wearing the name Jesus not only once but twice on your body, hopefully you're living up to that uniform, right? Hopefully. Um, that's why I don't put bumper stickers on my car that proclaim, you know, I want, I don't want people to question my salvation on the freeway. Um, you, that's, that's you on the freeway, Brenda, trust me, get rid of that bumper sticker. Um, where was I going before? Yeah. So you and I. As Christ followers, as believers in Jesus, have a uniform, if you will. We call ourselves Christians. Christ in ones. That word was originally intended as a word of ridicule, little Christ. But you and I wear that uniform. And the challenge in your life and my life is to live a life that's in balance with who Jesus is. 
So what does that worthy walk look like? Could we be a little more specific, Roy, than this little scale thing that you brought in this morning? Be a little more specific about what a worthy walk looks like. What does a worthy walk look like? No surprises. Paul tells us exactly what a worthy walk looks like. And he tells us in four phrases. And those things you just shouted are also good, but they're not part of my sermon. Sorry. Um, So I want you to notice the four phrases that Paul uses to tell us. God's will is that we would walk in a manner worthy. That our lives would balance out who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he says there's four components in my life and your life, that would make this walk worthy. So notice what he says. Paul goes on and says this. First he says, bearing fruit. How? Every good work. For those of you that are Bible students, Paul used that very phrase earlier in his commendation, all the way back up in, oh, about verse 6. He said that their faith was bearing fruit and increasing. Now he circles back, having commended them that they're bearing fruit. And he says the worthy walk is a walk that bears fruit. How? Good works. Doing good. The book of Acts records the fact that Jesus went around doing good. Paul said to the Thessalonians in a similar vein... He said, don't be weary in doing good. You know, one of the challenges we face oftentimes is there's good things that we'd like to do. We think about doing them, but we don't do them. And then on the other hand, there's good things that we do, but it doesn't produce the results that we want it. We don't get recognition. We don't get response. It doesn't seem to bear any good result or any good return. And so what happens? We stop doing good. And Paul says a worthy walk includes a life that is doing good. That my life and your life should do good. What kind of good works? By the way, while we're talking about doing good and good works, good works don't get us into the kingdom, right? Good works are not the path to heaven. The path to heaven is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? So make sure we're clear on that. But does God expect your life and my life to reflect good works, doing good? You know, we, we all memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How come we don't know verse 10? <laughs> For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And so good works is part of the expectation of this worthy walk. A life that is fruitful in doing good for others. We might do good for others by praying for them. We might do good for others in supporting a ministry, whether it's a ministry of the church or a ministry of missionaries. Um, 
Paul, Paul in Philippians has an, a fascinating passage where he tells the Philippians, because they've sent him a gift to help him in his ministry, and he says, um, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be fruit that accumulates to your account. The same word fruit that's here, he uses there. That there would be fruit that would accumulate to your account. Doing good. And so if, if your life was in this scale, could we put a weight in here for doing good? How are you, how are you doing and doing good? And can we do better? Absolutely. If you want to please God with your worthy walk, it needs to include doing good. Notice the second thing that Paul says, in addition to bearing fruit in every good work, he says, increasing in the knowledge of of God. So not only is my life of a worthy walk involved in developing this fruitfulness, but it also means deepening my love relationship with Jesus. Is your relationship with Jesus more intimate, more personal today than it was a year ago, a month ago? And how do we deepen our relationship with Jesus? It's, it's all about spending time with Him. All about spending time with Him. And the sad thing is, I think, and I've been guilty of this at times in my life, the sad thing is we're content with the level of our relationship with Jesus. We don't desire more. And there's a lot of things that affect that. Uh, life is busy. Life is full, right? There's lots of distractions in life. We mean well, and we get started on January 1st, and I'm going to read my Bible every day, and I'm going to pray, and then on February 1st, it's like, where's my Bible? I can't find my Bible. Um, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, I wanted to read it to you, but I'm going to summarize it and hope that, that that's enough. But if you, if you want kind of a fascinating insight on this theme of wanting more in your relationship with God, later on, read Exodus 32 and 33. And Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain with God. He and God are hanging out for way too long, according to the people down in the valley. And uh, they need something to worship because Moses and God are up there and they're down here. And so they make this golden calf, right? You familiar with the story? So Moses is ticked off. God is ticked off. And basically, God tells Moses, now, you continue on the journey to the promised land, and I'm going to send my angel along with you to help you out and to show you the way. And Moses' basic response to God is, that ain't going to happen. Um, as I like to say, Moses basically says, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Moses says to God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. <laughs> Try that with God, right? You know, lightning bolts or something. Uh, if, if you don't come along, I'm not going. And, and here's the thing. To understand this in its context, you need to read that passage and see Moses going out to the tent of meeting to meet with God. And the scripture says that when Moses went out to the tent of meeting, other people went out there too. But when Moses went out there, the entire nation watched because it was different. And the scripture in Exodus 33 says that when, 
When Moses went out to the tent of meeting to meet with God, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. How many of you can say, hey, that's, that describes my relationship with God face to face, just like I talk to my best friend? That's what the scripture says of their relationship. And Moses says to this God who he's speaking to face to face as a man speaks to his friend, he says, if you don't go, I'm not going. Then he says this, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What's he saying? I want to know you more. Show me your glory. And that's the great passage where it says that God caused his goodness, which is an interesting sermon in itself. God caused his goodness to pass before Moses as Moses was tucked into the cleft of the rock. God answered that prayer. Moses said to God, I want more. I want to know you better. I want a deeper relationship. And God, of course, always responds to that request and says, nope, not happening. Well, how do you expect God to respond to that? Is he all in on that request? And Paul says to the Colossians, he says to the believers in Norwalk, walk worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you familiar with the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Jesus comes to their home. Mary and Martha are there. Martha's out in the kitchen getting dinner ready, probably doing tacos or something. If, you know, if I was there, that's what she'd serve. Um, but Martha's out in the kitchen. She's hustling around getting dinner ready. Where's Mary? She's parked at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, talking with him. And Martha, oh, I could be so guilty of being a Martha. So, so easy. I'm in the kitchen. Mary's out there. I'm getting more frustrated, more upset. And finally, she says, Jesus, tell Mary to get her little... In here. And Jesus says something fascinating to Martha. But he says she has chosen the one, what's the next word? Necessary thing. And it won't be taken or literally stolen, robbed from her. So here's Mary at the feet of Jesus cultivating that relationship, a time of intimacy between the two of them. And Jesus says it's the one necessary thing and it's not going to be stolen, not going to be robbed, not going to be taken away. Deepening a relationship with Jesus. When I was in high school, I had, well, I had more than two friends, but I had two very special friends. Um, Alan was my best buddy. And we had been doing life together as friends for a couple of years. Um, I called his mom, mom. She made killer tacos, so me and mom were great terms. Alan and I did all kinds of stuff together, went places. We double dated together, usually with girls. Um, he was the quarterback on the football team. I was the end. Well, I graduated. Alan was a year younger. I graduated and went and spent the next nine months, ten days, and twelve hours in Indiana at Grace College. And I came home, Christmas time, and Alan and I hung out, did some stuff together, back to school, back at Easter time, back to school. Summer comes. He's now graduated from high school, and he's off to college in Arkansas. And uh, 
he came home from Arkansas, joined the Navy to see the world, and we just kind of drifted apart as time went by. Uh, he got married, had girls, and now is living in Texas. And I haven't seen Alan, talked to Alan in 10 or 15 years, probably. <clears throat> time went by, no connection, no relationship. Relationship totally drifted. At the same time that <clears throat> my best friend was Alan, there was this girl in my class that I had, I guess you would call it a thing for. You know, um, I don't totally believe in love at first sight, but this, this girl just fascinated me. And I really wanted to get to know her better. And we had sort of a kind of a date in September of our sophomore year. Um, she was going out to a birthday dinner and then to the movie theater with six of her girlfriends. And each of the girls was going to invite a boy. I'm the only one that showed up. Uh, it was really weird. Um, but then two years go by. And we're friends. We're in class together. She writes me a note in English class one day. She'll always think of me as like a big brother. I, I cried in English class. It was the, that was the low light of my high school years. And so, again, uh, we graduated, and I took off to go to college in Indiana. And she stayed in Long Beach. And she wrote a letter to me every single day. There was one day my mailbox was empty, and I was totally bummed, but I got two the next day. She wrote a letter to me every, honest engine, every single day for nine months, ten days, and twelve hours. The whole time I was in Indiana. Every Saturday night, we had a phone call. I called Collect. Do you remember making Collect phone calls back in the day? <laughs> I called her house, called Collect, and uh, we sat on the phone for who knows how much every Saturday night. Um, this, this young lady's Christmas present that year, her dad took all the phone bills, wrapped them up with string, and gave them to her for Christmas. That was her Christmas <laughs> present. So I came home after that nine months, ten days, and twelve hours in Indiana, and a year and a half later we got married, and here we are. So what was the difference in my relationship with Alan and my relationship with Andrea? Nurturing the relationship, time together, even over 2,500 miles with letters and phone calls. And you see, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing in our relationship with Jesus. And your walk won't be worthy and all-pleasing unless you're not only bearing fruit and doing good, but you're also deepening your love relationship with Jesus. Notice the third thing. I don't know how you're doing on that, but... Time in the Word and time in prayer. Um, I have a friend that says, Bible before breakfast. So Paul goes on. He says, now, bearing fruit in every good deed, good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he says, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. It is kind of fascinating that he uses three words that all relate to strength. Strengthened, power, might. And the idea of that word strengthened, <clears throat> we get our English word dynamite from that word, by the way. It has to do with potential, 
power, dynamite before it's ignited. Um, and you and all, you and I all have strength, but it needs to be released. That's the power released. And how is our strength released? How does that happen? He says, according to whose glorious might? God's glorious might, his power. He's the one who strengthens and enables me because I cannot do these next two things in and of myself. Steadfastness and patience. And so what Paul is saying here is I need to draw on God's power in order to be to endure the circumstances and the people of life. The word steadfastness, that first word, literally means to remain under. It's the idea of carrying a load. It's pressing down and you remain under. You don't try to remove yourself. How do we normally pray when life gets tough? Lord, deliver me. Get me out of here. I don't want to do this. Well, God's will might be for you to do what? Remain under. I remember my first semester of seminary at Talbot. Um, I was up to my eyeballs in junior high ministry. Uh, my father-in-law kept talking to me about this part-time job that was taking 70 hours of my week, and I didn't care. School wasn't that important. Um, but I was struggling carrying a full load that first year of seminary, uh, the first semester. And so I went to my pastor, David Hawking, and I said, Dave, this is a lot harder than I thought. It's a lot harder than Biola. I'm going down for the count. I don't think I can do this. And Dave said to me these words that I've never forgotten. <clears throat> Instead of asking God for a lighter load, how about asking him to strengthen your shoulders? I can't do that in myself. But the circumstances of life that weigh us down, the situations that we encounter, whether it's health stuff, financial stuff, relational stuff, the circumstances of life weigh us down. And if you're like the typical American and even the typical American Christian, your goal and ambition when you're under that is to do what? Get out. Quit. Exactly. It's always too soon to quit. Because God has a purpose and God has a plan and he wants me to learn that steadfastness to remain under. James said it this way, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various tribulations. I never liked that part either. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various tribulations. And let the... I'm drawing a blank. Knowing that the... Someone help me here. How's that verse go? Say it louder. I'm old. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance. Steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Steadfastness. How's it finish? What's the rest of it? Got it? Yeah, me, I got it. And endurance has its purpose and complete work perfect, lacking in nothing. You will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if God's plan in the circumstances of life is to bring me to maturity, perfect and complete, lacking nothing, and I want to escape from what He's using in my life, what happens? I don't make it to be complete, mature, lacking nothing. And so the first word, steadfastness, has to do with putting up, enduring the circumstances of life. You've got a circumstance in your life right now that just you just want to escape and get free from? My wife and I do. We have a circumstance we want to be freed from. 
We pray for it often, daily. Maybe that's not God's will for us. Steadfastness. And then that second word, he says, not only am I, part of this worthy walk is this steadfastness, this, this standing in under the circumstances. He says it also includes patience. That word patience could be translated long-suffering. And it has to do almost all the time in the scriptures with putting up with people. Do you have any people in your life you just kind of are putting up with? Just kind of, you know, there's... Do people ever just kind of tick you off, rub you the wrong way? You just like to kind of move them to another planet? Yeah, we all do. We all do. And Paul says, part of your worthy walk is learning to hang in in the tough times. Learning to hang in in those difficult circumstances. And being patient, long-suffering with people. My friend Dwayne was pastoring the church in Auburn in Northern California when I went to Sacramento in 1980. And uh, we met and hung out, became friends. And I remember him saying to me one time, he says, you know, he said, I love the ministry. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) Yeah. But Paul says to you and to me, if you're going to balance out this scale, If you're going to live a life that balances out with who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you need to be a person who's learning. Not changing much, is it? Man, why is that? Jesus is pretty heavy. (laughs) Jesus is very heavy. And so Paul goes on. He says, now, there's a fourth element. Not only do I want you to be bearing fruit in every good work, Not only should you be increasing in your intimate love relationship with the Lord. Not only should you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfast and patience. But he says also joyously giving thanks to the Father who is qualified as to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So there needs to be in your life and my life a deep sense of gratitude. To God. I'm honestly and frankly amazed at how ungrateful people can be. We sat at dinner Wednesday night with a couple of friends of ours. Both uh, women going through difficult times, that circumstances remaining under. Our one friend has her son and daughter-in-law and their eight-month-old baby living with her and her husband. Now, her husband um, has chosen to kind of escape and go to work several hours a day and find other places to hang out because of the stress in the house. The son and daughter-in-law and their baby have been there since before the baby was born. And uh, the wife went back to work. You know, that uh, maternity leave was over and back to work. her son, the father of the child, um, isn't working, and they've discovered it's probably better for him to stay with the baby than to go find a job and pay for child care. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with that, but that's a tough call. And so there's a lot of stress in the home. The, the son and his wife have contributed not one nickel to food or anything in the house in those months. And there's constant bickering and complaining and whining 
And I'm listening to Lynn telling us this, and I'm going, how could anyone be that ungrateful? You and I live in a world of ungrateful people. Frequently, we are in churches of ungrateful people. And Paul says, Roy, if you're going to live a walk worthy of Jesus, who he is and all he's done for you, your life should be characterized by gratitude. Paul even says in one place that our lives should be devoid of grumbling and complaining. Do you ever hang out with people that grumble and complain all the time? It wears on you. And there have very honestly, honest confession time, there have been times in my life where I've realized I was that person. I was the one in that circle doing all the grumbling and complaining. It's easy to do. It's a lot easier to grumble and complain than to be thankful, right? Someone say right, please. Um, God's call in, in your life, God's call in my life is for us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is what? God's will concerning you. So it parallels exactly with what he says here. To be grateful people. Thankful. Even when we're under those circumstances that weigh us down. Even when there's people in our lives that drive us absolutely crazy. Thankful. Isn't it interesting that Paul begins all of his letters except one by the words, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. There's a value to expressing thanks to God for others. And isn't it fascinating that Paul expresses his thanks to God and tells the people what he's doing? And in that indirect way, what's he telling them? Thank you. I thank God for you. And I wonder if houses, families, churches... Workplaces could be totally revolutionized if people were overflowing with expressions of thankfulness. It might be saying words, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for that. Sometimes it's thank you in the form of a a small gift that says, I really appreciate you and what you're doing. Whatever form that thank you takes, it might be a note, an email, Text message. But are we grateful, thankful people? I've got a great picture here that David's going to put up on the screen for you. These, these two men are celebrating Thanksgiving. They're homeless. No homes, no jobs, no money, no nothing. And on the, the grill, they're barbecuing dinner on Thanksgiving Day of an octopus. And the one guy says... What do we have to be thankful for? No money, no house, no car, no jobs. We got nothing to be thankful for. And the other guy says, eight drumsticks? (laughs) We need to be grateful, thankful people. Paul says, God's will for you and for me is that we would walk worthy of who Jesus is. That the life that I live every day would be in match with who Jesus is. The uniform that I'm wearing, just like that name on Vet's shirt this morning, would match up with who Jesus is. And so, 
I want for my life and for your life for there to be a worthy walk. And so this morning, my question is this. It is God's will for you and for me. It is God's will for you that this will be true. That your life will balance with who Jesus is. It's God's will for you that in balancing that life out, there's four components. And there's the doing good component. There's the deepening relationship component. There's the drawing on God's strength for patience and steadfastness component. There's the demonstration of gratitude in my life component. Paul says, if I would live my life this way, then I would be walking worthy. I would have lead feet. So my question for you this morning is, how's the, the scales in your life? And there's those four components that we've focused on. And four seems kind of overwhelming to me. And so my, my thought is for you, pick one of those. Which one of those could you work on this week, this afternoon, tomorrow morning? Which one of these does God point his finger at in your life that he wants you to work on? And then make a commitment in this moment in time, to walk worthy. Alexander the Great was an incredible general. He conquered basically the entire known world by the age of 33. On this one occasion, a young soldier was brought into him, a soldier who had deserted, had been caught and brought back and brought to Alexander. Alexander, of all the things he hated in life, hated cowardice the most. And as this young soldier was brought into his presence, he saw an incredibly handsome young man, well built, the the ideal of Greek manhood. And his heart softened a little bit and he was inclined to, to be merciful. And so he says to this soldier, son, what's your name? Alexander, sir. To which Alexander the Great said, what is your name? Alexander, sir. And Alexander said this, young man, either change your name or change your conduct. And I don't know that's exactly God's stance this morning, but that speaks to me. Change my name, change my conduct. I'm not changing my name. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm wearing that uniform. So I need to bring my conduct in line with the uniform I'm wearing. Lord, help us to do that. We do not have the strength in ourselves. We do not have the ability. It's not within us to be the men and women that you call us to be. We freely acknowledge that. We freely admit it. Uh, We can't do it. But remind us this morning that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above above and beyond all that we ask or think. Help us to live lives that are worthy, that measure up to who you are and to all that you've done for us. Thank you for helping us to do that. We ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen.
pray with me? God, we want to say thank you so much for the power of your word this morning. God, I pray that your word spoke to our hearts. I pray that it cut to the very core of who we are. God, that we would look at these four areas in our life. God, that we would see where we're falling short. We would look at maybe there's something that we need to surrender, that we need to give up. God, maybe we've been reading books, but we haven't been reading the book. God, maybe there's, maybe there's things that we need to be doing but that, to, that are good for others. God, we we're doing good for you. We're doing good, good works. Maybe we've been focused on good works, maybe just for ourselves. God, I don't know what that looks like for each one of us, God, but I pray that you would help us to surrender the things that we need to surrender. God, I pray that we would, you would give us new eyes this morning, a new focus of what's important. God, that we would lean on you a little closer. God, that we would lean in on your, your word and your truth. God, there's so much power there. There's so much power in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. God, we have so many resources at our hands of what you've given us. And so, God, I pray that we would be people who are active, that we're not just hearers this morning. We're not just hearing the words. But God, as Pastor Roy says, that we would be doers of the word, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would leave this place uh, asking those questions. How can, how can I move forward in my relationship with Christ? How will I look different a week from now than I do today? So God, would you challenge us with those thoughts this morning? Would you challenge us with your, the very word of God? And so God, we love you. Grateful for all the things that you've given us. Grateful for your word. Thank, grateful for your son, Jesus. Grateful for eternal life. God, grateful for the body of Christ. God, the unity that we have in this place. God, help us to go out from here to be the salt and the light uh, that this world needs. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's just give uh, the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. Just wanted to make uh, two announcements. One, there was supposed to be a congregational board meeting right now. That's being postponed. Uh, I think two weeks till the 23rd, so just uh, be aware of that. There's no meeting today, so that means some of you saying yay, right? Um, and then also uh, make sure that if you have cookies, that uh, you pick those up in the first classroom. Have a great day, church.